Hi, I'm Sam Ballerton Crimes. And I'm Alice Bellat. In this episode of Welcome, Victoria Stead takes us on a trip to Oro Province in Papua New Guinea, near where the Kokoda Track is located. Kokoda is the site of a major episode in Australia's war history, where Papua New Guineans helped Australians defeat the Japanese in World War II. It's a popular war tourism destination for Australian travellers. We'll hear more about that in the next episode. In this episode, though, Tori gives us something more than just a picture of Kokoda. She takes us to the surrounding areas and introduces us to Papua New Guinean families who have long histories of interaction with Australians and other foreigners. Yeah, I learned so much from this episode about Australia's war history, but also our colonial control in PNG and about how much better off Papua New Guineans were if they had mates in colonial government. I know, it's so fascinating as an Australian to learn about this, really rather late in life, to be honest. But what I also love about this episode is this really frank and honest appraisal from the people she talks to of how they make sense of their relationship with Australians now and how much of that is, understandably, connected to what kind of development and resources they can access. We in here, we don't realise what the striking is all about. We only understand that there is a tracking taking place in Kokoda area alone. Not down here yet. And we don't know what is tracking. What is this industry all about? We are all confused. We seem to see tourists coming, flying in and out, tracking Kokoda tracks. Is it for war purpose or is it for hiking or whatever they want to do? Are they on um, interest? But these are the small little questions that build up to bigger ones. And this is how we are very quiet. Since the mid-1990s, a bustling war tourism industry has emerged in Papua New Guinea, focused particularly on the Kokoda Track. Each year, up to several thousand people, mostly Australians, travel to PNG to complete the 96-kilometre mountain trek between Kokoda Station in Oro Province and Port Moresby. It's done, most often, as a form of wartime commemoration. Trekkers follow the footsteps of the Australian soldiers who fought along the track in 1942 in a desperate but ultimately successful campaign to stop Japanese troops from taking Port Moresby. Kokura, yeah, in the past, Kokura is not a, not a, a famous... I think after Australians started off the trekking business, it became famous. Ori Kenya lives at Kokoda and watches the groups of trekkers that pass through regularly to and from the foothills of the mountains. More than 45 years after the end of Australian colonial rule in PNG, the Kokoda Track is one of the only spaces today within which ordinary Papua New Guineans and Australians have much to do with one another. If you and I go to, uh, to Melbourne, and tell the Melbournians uh, that we are from Poponeta, I'm from Kerama. They don't know where, where Kerama is. Well, they don't know where Poponeta is. But when you call Kokoda, Kokoda is very, very famous. It's very famous. I'm Victoria Stead. I'm an Australian-based anthropologist, and I've been working in Papua New Guinea for over 13 years. I'm interested in the relationships between Papua New Guineans and Australians in the histories that connect us and sometimes separate us, 
and what those histories mean today. In the next episode, we'll travel to Kokoda to see what the trekking industry looks like for those who live there and what kinds of relationships it has given rise to between trekkers and locals. Before that, though, in this episode, we travel to a village called Caparacambo. It's just a few hours' drive from Kokoda Station in PNG's Oro Province, also known as Northern Province, but it's well outside the circuits of the tourism industry. It's one of the places whose name most Australians would not recognise. Today, Caparacambo, or Cope, as it's known to locals, is a small village. Back in 1942, though, the place was a coffee plantation and home to just one man, James Mamagoba. Like Kokoda, it too was a site of fierce conflict during the war. I'm Tom Tera from Kapurakambo village. Uh, Kapurakambo is uh, my village in northern province, in Papua New Guinea. Up in the mountains in Kokoda, when the Japanese retreated uh, back to the beachhead, this was the place where the heavy battle took place. Graydon Mamagoba is James Mamagoba's grandson. I told you and I can tell you now is that three months they've been fighting here. Like many places in Oro, the community at Capricambo have hopes that their war history might attract tourists in the same way that they see happening at Kokoda. Here's Tom Terra again. Me and the family, we decided to set up a guest house purposely to... Uh, cater for such tourists uh, if they're interested into this area. But uh, openly, we don't have a, a, a guest to the guest house. So not many people are coming? Not many people coming. As the residents of Capricambo watch Australian trekkers travel to and from Kokoda and wonder why those tourists aren't also interested in their place, they recall the remarkable tale of their own ancestor, James Mamagoba. Particularly, they recall the relationships that he was able to forge with Australians and other outsiders. These relationships, and the life that James was able to create as a result, are held up in contrast to the absence of relationships that his descendants describe today. Uh, I'm Conway Mamagoba from Caprocambo uh, village. I'm married with um, two kids. Uh, I'm a subsistence farmer. Conway Mamagoba is another of James Mamagoba's descendants. With his siblings and cousins and their families, Conway lives in the village established by their grandfather. Their economy is mostly a subsistence one, which means they live on what they grow themselves. Uh, my granddad, James Mamangoba, came long way from Ope in the north coast area and he started living in this place before the war. That's Graydon. He's one of the descendants of Mamangoba, who, among his siblings and cousins, tells me the story of how their grandfather came to be living by himself in 1942 
in a single hut, surrounded by blocks of coffee and cocoa he planted himself. Noreen Kaber is another one of James Mamagova's grandchildren. So I just want to tell you a bit of how my grandpa has started and how we existed today. And I could tell you uh, that my grandpa is uh, full of wisdom. He, he doesn't write, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he, di- uh, he did not go to school, but he uses his head to do everything that he, he sees his things and then does it on his own. So he's full of wisdom. I'm told that in the 1930s, there were coffee, copra and cocoa plantations dotted across the landscape. These were the backbone of the colonial economy in what was, at that time, the Australian-administered territory of Papua. Plantation owners were white, Australians or other Europeans, and the men who worked for them were Papuan. James Mamagoba, though, a Papuan man, decided to begin his own plantation. As a young boy, James had worked for a German sailor and he knew some of the white colonial officials and plantation owners from that time. So he was asking them for, to get coffee seeds and plant them in Kope. This was his land. So he was asking them to... For, but these white people, they said James beggar Mamungoba because he was always asking the white people to give him coffee to plant. That's how he had the seedling to plant coffee in here and then establish this home of ours, Kope Village. Eventually, the white people gave him coffee seeds. Then, in July 1942, Japanese ships arrived on the nearby coast, followed by Allied planes and troops. But I will tell you what I heard from the old people, what they experienced, and I'd actually never seen the war myself yet. Michael Gaum was born 10 years after the war, and he grew up hearing stories from his parents about what it was like for local people across the province. A terrible thing, number one, and the exchange of guns, blowing bombs, planes around the air, in the air, ships coming up, new experiences, different skins, different languages, the environment. So we were in a scary situation and then we need to get refuge somehow. So we moved upwards and along the coastways down to the north coast. That is where our refuge is. At first, the Japanese soldiers moved quickly through the area as they made their advance from the coast up towards Kokoda. And that is where the Japanese took the track road, the back road, they travelled so fast towards Kokoda Road. It was after the Battle of Kokoda, in November of that year, that the fighting returned to Kaparakambu, as the depleted Japanese force moved back towards their bases on the coast. Our dad told us that uh, that war was really, it was really, how would I describe it, really bad. Uh, most of the Japanese were starving, and it was really heavy defence by the Japanese. It was a U-shaped defence where uh, the Australians couldn't break through. So it, the campaign in here was very long. Graydon picks up the story from Conway, 
describing how the fight spread out around the plantation. He says that both sides made use of the narrow tracks his grandfather had cut through the thick bush to access his own food gardens and hunting grounds. They found him and they used many of his tracks for going out to the hunting. Because he was here himself, they used his tracks for going out to the garden or going to the bush or elsewhere. We, used, we think that it's the track that James been using for his bush tracks they were using to come across to attack the Japanese. Many of the Japanese dead were buried on the land where Tom Terra lives today, where he built his guest house. Here's Tom. Between Kaporokambo and Gewoto, 500 Australians died. And 2,100 Japanese died in this area. So my guest house... And my home is lying upon a a grave of the Japanese. James Mamagoba gave what he had, food, from his garden, to the men fighting and dying around him. Graydon. So the Americans and the Australians, or even the Japanese, are granted had done many things. The both sides he fed them. Why did he do that? Why did he show them that? Hospitality. Hospitality because he was himself out in the jungle himself and it was in wartime. War is not a good thing. That's what my dad said. Because they had suffered. After the war, James Mamagoba continued to grow his plantation. Australia continued its colonial administration of Papua, now part of the unified territory of Papua and New Guinea, until PNG's independence in 1975. James once again sought out connections with the foreigners living in town, securing from them small pieces of roasting and grinding equipment as he built his coffee business. He opened a small store. As Noreen recalls this period, she describes the relationships that James Mamagoba, her grandfather, was able to create with outsiders, including with the white plantation owners around him. And uh, uh, too many whites who were af- uh, uh, who had uh, blocks around here before now uh, uh, cocoa blocks here. They know who Jimmy Mamgoba is. So he is a very nice uh, old man, friendly man. And every time they'll get into their jeep, and they said we'll go and see Jimmy Mamgoba, and they used to drive down. And uh, Grandpa used to give them his uh, coffee. That time he used to grind coffee, so he used to give them. And then they stay, sit a while, and then they go, go back to their homes. Everyone came for Jimmy Mamagoba's coffee. The story goes, even the Queen tasted it. Saul, another of James's grandsons, explains. The Queen wanted the coffee. She just wanted to taste it. So... Those white people came down and then they got that coffee for the Queen to taste it. Graydon says it was the Governor-General who came to collect it. Uh, Dad told us that he had made a bit of present for making coffee and giving it to the Queen. So when the uh, General, Governor-General was here looking at Papua New Guinea and he was here in Oro province, so that was a present for Queen that James has done, a granddad made for Queen. 
sorry, too many dust, but anyway. So this is the, the old equipment That's right, yeah. that you used to use. What I used to use, this was the power ball which starts from here. Take it out here. There's no coffee grown here anymore. The industry is concentrated in the PNG Highlands instead. For the most part, the community live on the food they grow themselves. They supplement that with the money they can make growing and selling betel nut, the nut of the areca palm that is widely chewed as a stimulant across PNG, as well as the mustard sticks that people chew with them. We, we take it to the general or public market out of town. Our mothers carry them early in the morning and then sell them and come. Maybe they earn, I would say, the average of 50 kina or lousy 30 kina per day. A, a big load of mustard and betel nut growing up and then coming down, but it's not good. James's equipment and the old wartime cooking pot are kept locked in the old shed he used to trade out of. On the outside hangs his portrait, a black and white photo taken by a Chinese man, the owner of the Wing Hei Supermarket Company. He was another of Mamagoba's partners. So when the Chinese or uh, Australian people come down from Popondera, they shared with him, they ate with him, and they did many good things. We, we can't do it now, but he has done that. James Mamagoba's grandchildren look back at their grandfather's life and the things that he was able to build that seem out of reach for them now. At the heart of this were the relationships he was able to create with outsiders. Today, Noreen's house is a short distance from the main part of Capricambo village. It's a small house, built from thatched sago leaves and timber, and surrounded by flowers, just opposite the Japanese burial ground. When she first moved there, she says the ghosts of the dead soldiers would visit at night. I was with my little girl and a boy living on that house uh, living at my home on my, on our own and one night I came I got scared so I came up one night came up here and then when I went down uh, uh, to to get to bed I, I was just lying down and I could hear the footsteps of people coming and they came up the steps I could hear them walk up the stairs, and they pushed the door. They pushed my uh, door, and I could. Uh, I I heard, and my boy, my young boy, heard about it. And then we expected uh, the real uh, person, uh, people, to shout or call out for us. But then after all, we didn't hear anything. So we knew that that's the funeral. That's the uh, uh, funeral home for Japanese. So we could uh, realize and tell that uh, that was the spirit of the dead Japanese people. <laughs> Do they bother you now? Oh uh, no, they uh, normally uh, when Japanese came, they said um, uh, Tokyo, uh, Capra Cambo, Tokyo, maybe. 
They want to get the spirit out from Papua New Guinea and take it back to uh, yeah. Japan, Japanese, Japan. So that's why all the spirit has been gone to Japan. Now I'm free. Since the end of the war, relatives of Japanese soldiers who died in Papua New Guinea, and particularly those buried there, have visited to pay respects and perform rituals for the dead. And all of the foreign nations involved in the conflict, Australian, American and Japanese, continue to make repeated visits, searching for the remains of those who went missing in action. It's a horrible history of war. That's why we feel sorry for these soldiers. They were human beings just like us who came to war in this area. For what reason, we don't know. So we have to give their bones back, the Australians, the Americans and the Japanese. As the customary landowner of the ground where the Japanese war cemetery lies, Tom has built relationships with some of the Japanese relatives who've come to honour their ancestors. Among his possessions is a book printed in Japanese. It's the diary of a soldier who died here in the war, which was published after his death. Tom can't read the Japanese script, but he's gone through with a pencil, underlining dates and place names written in English. In doing so, he's pieced together a sense of the life and death of a man who he has never met, but who lies buried in his land. Slotted in the pages of the book are several letters and postcards written to Tom by the soldier's descendants photos of the soldier when he was alive, and of his family. Japanese war army, like Australia and Americans, and the PIB, which my grandfather also fought in this war, and died on the side of the Allied. That's the Papuan Infantry Battalion, a fighting unit of indigenous Papuan and New Guinean men in the Allied forces. My grandfather was a corporal or a PIB, C Company. Corporal Uro Terra. He was a section commander. And fought up in the uh, Kokoda terrain, and he was shot there, killed there. He was buried, and we never found his body, and we never saw him. We gave the bone freely, because no, we, we know what the war was like. We were told by our grandfathers and our fathers. That's why we feel sorry for the Japanese soldiers. We feel sorry for the American and Australian soldiers, how the war uh, took place in this place. But these visits have not yielded the kind of industry that people see at Kokoda, all the kinds of material benefits they imagine come with that. We heard at the start of this story that Tom's family built a guest house to service some of the war tourism they hoped would come to the area. Uh, we built the guest house in 2016 and it's already open in 2017. Uh, recently, I have a Japanese uh, tourist here purposely to retrieve their bones. And we had them for a night and they left. That was my first uh, tourist. That was in September 2019, two years after Tom's family first opened their guest house. 
they just go free and then they look around for their uh, bones bones and then they they i think they have uh, brought all the spirit back so they don't say that again <laughs> they just dug the bone and then take the bone and go back they just come and get their pick up their bones and then go nothing good that's so again i asked him what he thinks of the trekking industry it's uh that industry never come and meet us. It's only Kokoda and Buna and it goes and goes. Never come and reach us. Because the battlefield was here and then we expect those type of people here, but they never. That's very sad. Like my other brothers said, uh, three other brothers had said, we, uh, we've been left behind. We have been left and not recognised after all. As people in Capricambo look towards Kokoda and the flows of tourists who gravitate there, they wonder what it is that the tourists are looking for. What kinds of relationships are they pursuing? As I think about this place, more questions bubble up. What might a genuinely shared history between Australia and Papua New Guinea look like? What would it mean to extend our historical imagination beyond Kokoda? Indeed, what would it mean to recognise the war itself as just one chapter in a long, complex history of encounter that also includes Australian colonialism? And what would it mean to engage ethically with that shared history? Here's Michael Gaum. There was a comment made by the Australian uh, ambassador to Papua New Guinea at one time at the ANZ uh, Anzac Day in Papandera, and it comes on all the time. This is what he said. For Australia, Papua New Guinea, you're special in our hearts. From those people who have, go- uh, those have gone, those young ones coming up, And us living today, we have a special, in our heart, a special place for Papua New Guinea. When when I heard that comment in there, I felt that that is how deep Australia's relationship with Papua New Guinea, and that should remain that way. But Papua New Guinea, Australia must look at Papua New Guinea properly. They look at the authorities, but people make up the authorities. Why don't they look at the people instead of looking at authorities? As we walk together along a narrow bush path, further into the bush and towards the site of two old bomb craters, I ask Michael Gaum what these historical sites mean to the people in Capricambo. Are they important for people here or is it mostly for... Well, somebody has to show an interest in there because this is our land. They fought in here. That is the story about fighting a war in this place. But to have those places identified, and these local people have already identified the places. But then, what's the purpose of them having interest in there when somebody's not having interest in there? Somebody in a sense that people who have fought here, and if they're if they showing interest to see those areas in there, then you see locals showing interest as well to look after it. So you see the interaction of importance among themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they're really the 
the local value of those sites is really only if there's a relationship. Exactly, exactly. The Welcome podcast is based in Nam on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Nam is also known as Melbourne, Australia. This episode was produced and recorded by Dr. Victoria Stead. Script supervision and editing by James Milsom. The music composed by John Bartley. Special thanks to the community at Capricumbo and to Andrew Yauga, Margaret Mbahe, Mavis Manuda Tonjia. Drida and Bray Punya and McLaren Hiari. If you like this show and haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. It helps spread the word about the show and we really appreciate it. <laughs>